Thanks, Kathy, so much. Um, I guess if we have enough time, one of the things I'd love to um, maybe see happen a bit this week is that at the end uh, we can spend some time maybe just asking God to come, asking his spirit to come, maybe having a bit more, a uh, bit of the songs, you know, happening and just and just maybe in if Kath's here a bit later today, maybe singing over us a bit and spending some time just receiving as we take this pit stop really, you know, in the middle of a week like this, just to sort of get a bit deeper with God. Uh, so um, it's great to see you. I'm Nick. I'm married to Ali. We've got two kids, Gracie, who's eight, and Josiah, who's five. Uh, they are rampantly running around the site somewhere doing something or other that they're not meant to be doing. Uh, I work for a church called St. Stephen's in Twickenham, and I'm a songwriter and a worship leader. And it's great to see you here. Uh, it really is. I think we're going to have a great time together these next few days. We're going to be looking at a few things today, particularly worship, what's it all about? Uh, you know, what is it? Why are we doing it? Particularly this issue of sung worship, delving a bit deeper into that. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be looking at spirit-led worship. So the relationship between uh, the spirit and sung worship, prophetic worship, what that is, how do you do it? How do you even lead that type of worship? The day after that, we're going to be looking at how do you stay passionate for God through the seasons? You know, big question, that one. How do we stay passionate for God through the seasons? And then on the final day, we're going to look at the future of worship and be kind of exploring together. And a real passion for these sessions is not that it's just me speaking to you um, for an hour. I'm sure we'd all die if that were the case. It's actually that we'd spend some time interacting with each other, a bit of an over-to-you session. As I'm going on through these talks, I would love you to be thinking, writing down any questions you have at all about anything we're speaking about. And particularly today, I'd love you to be thinking about things you would like us to look at this week. You know, I don't just want to plow on through these topics regardless. I'd love to hear what you are really interested in, the issues that are going on in your local environment, in your churches, love to look at anything. Nothing is too simple or too stupid. Um, so there are many different people here. Uh, how many people here are actually worship leaders? Could you put your hand up? Great, fantastic. Okay, how many actually lead churches here? Oh, you're outnumbered. Okay, so, oh, okay, music leaders. Okay, music leaders, put your hand up. So you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a worship leader, a music leader. Okay. Oh, right. That's interesting. And then pastors, okay, people who lead churches. T two pastors here. Fantastic. That's exciting. Okay, musicians. Wow. Bring it on. Any drummers here? Bring it on. Any guitarists? Okay, awesome. Fantastic. Singers. Was anyone here for that session just now? That was fun, wasn't it? I walked in the back of that, like, absolutely amazing. Um, well, it's great to see you, really is, and um, everyone's welcome, whether you're involved in worship ministry or not. And I suppose, really, the theme of this kind of week is, it's, a, it's this element of sort of spiritual development, I suppose. Looking at how can we go deeper, how can we learn more about who God is, and our role within this whole area of worship. And I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, with my children recently. You know, spiritual development, how can I teach them, uh, you know, the ways of the Lord? And a few years ago, a friend of mine 
he said to me um, that one night he was reading a bedtime story to his five-year-old son uh, called Thomas. And at the end of the story, he said, you know, Thomas, would you like to hear God speak to you? And Thomas looks at his dad and says, Dad, I'd love that. So my friend prays for Thomas. Says, son, just pray tonight. Jesus, would you please bless my son? Please, would he hear your voice clearly? Amen. So dad goes downstairs. About half an hour later, dad hears this cry from the bedroom. Daddy! Daddy! And dad runs back up the stairs. And What's going on? Dad! think God spoke to me. And dad goes, okay, tell me what he said. He said, well, I just saw this kind of, this picture or something, dad. And it was of a lot of people in a church and they were being attacked by a huge snake. And then a lion came in through the doors and killed the snake and said, God's people don't have to be afraid. <laughs> so I tried it the next night on Gracie. <laughs> And I, I got to bedtime, I did the story, and then I prayed for Gracie, and I said, you know, would you, li would you like to hear God speak to you tonight? And she went, yes, Dad, I'd love that. And I prayed, I said, Lord, please, would you speak to Gracie tonight? Amen. No sooner had I finished the sentence than Gracie said, Dad, God spoke to me. I said, what did he say? He wants you to give me an ice cream right now. Praise God. Um, so what does Jesus mean when he says, may it be this day on earth as it is in heaven? For me, this is kind of the starting point when we talk about worship. Because we get this glorious glimpse at the end zone of the Bible, the book of Revelation, into, I guess, what worship really should look like. And it's the only place in the New Testament where we get a picture of large group Christian worship. And, it, and it, I guess it cuts right to the heart of what it should look like here on earth. And I'm going to read you a bit from Revelation 4, if you want to take a note of this. And this is um, sort of the writer John's heavenly vision and experience he's having in the Spirit of God. It says this, After this I looked and there before me, this is Revelation 4, After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Maybe for a moment, just close your eyes, hear this bit. In the center... Around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. 
the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. It's an incredible, breathtaking vision. It goes on and on through the next few chapters. It's high voltage, red hot worship. Some of it we don't even understand, we don't even get, but we see diversity, we see creativity. He goes on to say in Revelation 5, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. Every creature. I mean, just imagine it. Every language you've ever heard, every dialect, every accent, including the Birmingham accent. Add the sound of all creation, the whistling of the wind, the roar of the wild animals, the crashing of the waves. Every choir, every crowd, every harmony, every beautiful vocal sound, all woven together. The loudest sound we've ever heard here on the earth is simply the faintest whisper of what is going on in heaven right now. And you know, it's a bit like, I guess, the writer John had gone there with his mobile phone. And he'd seen this incredible scene and got the phone out and just thought, I've got to record this. I need people to see this. And he puts the video function on and he quickly goes around going, oh my gosh, can you see the great and the good bowing down? Can you hear that incredible sound from every single creature ever? This is unbelievable. It's overwhelming. It's the purest, most wonderful worship I've ever seen. And right at the center of all is Jesus. Quickly, send. And the message arrives to us 2,000 years later. And we read it in the book of Revelation. And he's saying, imagine the view from here. Just imagine it. It's beyond all we could imagine. The one thing we see is that Jesus is at the center of it all. Nothing else. Worship is Christ-centered. It's to him. It's for him. It's about him. And it puts an end to the question for all of time, I guess. You know, which we've all said from time to time. I certainly have. You know, I didn't get much out of the worship today. What did you get out of the worship today? Was it good for you? Really, the only question that now remains is, God, was it good for you? Did we bring you our Sunday best today? Did we bring you our Monday best today? When we gather together, was it good for you? Did you love what you heard? It's the only question that remains. And I guess when we read and see this picture, it makes us realize that worship it's an explode it's meant to be an explosive activity when the church gathers together 
You know, it's, it's a physical thing. We see all sorts of physical things going on in this. The elders are bowing down. People are shouting out their praise together. And it makes you realize, doesn't it, that I guess some of the purest forms of worship these days are found well away from most local churches. You know, if you go to a gig, you see people shouting out, singing the words. They're so passionate, you know, don't really care what people think about them. You're just following this band. You love it. You're singing out staking your claim, believing in the lyrics. If you go to uh, a sporting event, a stadium, the same thing. All those actions are just going for it, exploding to go. I remember a few years ago, I went to see um, the best team in the world, Manchester United. Hang on a minute. Chill out. We're only on day two. Well, I'm from Birmingham, right, which is South Manchester, so Manchester United is my team. And um, and the thing is, I went to see them, and it was at the time when David Beckham was playing for them. And I'll never forget, I was, I was in this bit of the crowd, it was a big Champions League game. And everyone was, all the home fans, it was at the end of Beckham's time at being at Man United, and all the home fans were giving him so much grief, they were really piling it on. And then suddenly, he did this glorious pass that set up the winning goal. And the whole stadium, in one moment, just stood up. I think it's 70,000 people and just went, there's only one David Beckham. <laughs> and it was just incredible. It was just like the, the unifying power of seeing this brilliant thing on the pitch just suddenly drove everyone together. It's quite a thing when you've been in an environment like that. And it begs this question, what does that look like, you know, in the church, in the local church? Okay, we've got spring harvest. We see some of that here when there are thousands gathered. But how does it look back at home, you know, when sometimes we gather and there's just a few of us and sometimes we're singing in and out of tune with each other and it feels like all we've got is these four walls around us and we're so far removed from the rest of the world. Big question. And that's why I just really want to encourage anyone who's continually leading worship week in and week out in your local church. You're doing an incredible job. Be encouraged this week. Be encouraged. What you do is so significant and important. And a few years ago, I saw this um, documentary where Oprah Winfrey um, interviewed Michael Jackson. And she said, one of the things that I see with you, Mike, is your fans adore you around the world. And then they put this video footage up that lasted for about a minute, and it was just seeing all the fans' responses. You know, people screaming, just overwhelmed, overcome with emotion. And when you see that in the world, the thing you have to say, I don't know about you, but the thing I have to say is this, that's actually great worship. It's not a great God. We have a great God. We have a great God. So how can we give him great worship? All the time. We've got to be thinking that. The flip side to worship is it's not just this physical, dramatic diverse, creative encounter with God, you know, um, diverse sort of um, celebration. But on the other hand, it's an encounter. It's up close and personal. And 
I guess that's what Christians would say throughout the ages, is that, you know, it's in worship that we can actually experience and encounter God. And that when we sing songs to him, we can do that. He draws close to us. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you, he says. And Christians would call that worship. And it's really simple, I suppose. On one hand, you take some music, which has the power in and of itself to move the emotions. Couple that with some words that, for us, they mean something. Um, you know, words we often sing about the historic biggies, you know, who God is and what he's done, the cross. You know, meaning that... Um, no more can our, our shame rule us. His love rules over us. We talk about creation, the fact he made the galaxies, the stars, everything. The crown, he's the risen, victorious, glorious Lord of life. And we will rise one day with him. And these truths awaken our hearts. We talk about the daily biggies, his closeness, his comfort, his care. That he's with us all the time. And you put these two things together, the music and the words, and it's been a very powerful experience for people over the years as it's created an opportunity to, I guess, reflect on our relationship with God, reestablish where we are with him, and sing some truth about him that hopefully soaks back into who we are. So it's a celebration, it's an encounter. And I guess it works a bit like this, it's as if there's this kind of this giant water wheel in heaven. And God reveals something of his love to us. And that sparks something in us and we love him back. And then it happens again. And it goes round again. And then he reveals something more and we respond. And it goes round and round this beautiful cycle of grace, of encounter, celebration, love, love, and more love. And it's the Christian claim that in the middle and the muddle of our twisting, grieving, fragmented lives. Worship is the place of transformation. That when we come together, we're not just singing songs. Something far deeper than that is going on. That's certainly true uh, for me and my story and how I became a Christian, I guess. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, when I was 13, my mum died really unexpectedly. It sort of sent shockwaves through my family. And I had some Christian friends at the time. Um, I'd never really been to church in my life. Uh, these, these friends of mine, they were a few years older than me, and they used to play football with me down the local park, and they were just good mates. And I'll never forget one time, actually, we went to the local park um, playing football, and they said, look, we've got to nip home for a minute. Would you just look after our wallet and after our bag? And I thought, wow, you're mad. You know, you're letting me look after all these personal belongings. But they went home and they came back and, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't nicked them. Um, and, um, you know, mad. Anyway, I hadn't nicked them and then, and then they came out. And they were, I just thought, wow, you trust me. That's incredible. They were just mates. And eventually through that, they got me to go on this Christian um, summer camp. And, I, and boy, I didn't know what was going to hit me there. I went to that. It was like, oh, my gosh, I... I can't believe there are these people worshipping together. They're singing these songs. Um, I don't have any frame of reference for this. This is totally unusual. But I saw a few cool people there. I thought, you know, maybe I can do this as well. You know, what a, what a ridiculous thing to think now. But, um, you know, I, I sort of nailed my colours to the mast at the end of the week and said, you know, I'm going to become a Christian, which then took me on the next step of the journey, which was they took me to church. So when I got back to church, that's when things really kicked off. It was a very, very charismatic church. 
You know, there were tongues, there were doves, there were flags, and that was just a welcome team. <laughs> and, and, you know, I gradually got involved in the worship. Some friend of mine who was in a band, I'd never met anyone before who was in the band, said, you can play, you can sing, put a guitar in my hands, show me how to play. To my surprise and his, I could instantly, you know, start finger-picking a D and a G. And, wow, little did I know that's all you ever need for worship. But I started going from there and... It was incredible, and, we, and that, that started the journey, and then I, I ended up being the second guitar player in the band, you know, the guy who stands right at the edge of the stage, hiding behind a music stand. You know, the stand's like here, and you're playing, and you're like desperately trying to muddle your way through, and occasionally you sort of pop your head around and go, hi, you're right, and then carry on. And gradually I got to move further and further, and then I was leading worship. And I really, honestly, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I did not have a clue what I was doing. First time I led worship, I remember playing... Um, this, this old song, there's power in the name of Jesus. And it, and it just goes so high, this song, you know. And I remember starting it off, and I started playing this song. And uh, first ever time I led, you know, and they threw me in the deep end. They were just up for it. And I started in the wrong rhythm. Then the drummer came in, who was really, really good. And he, he, he just came in at the right rhythm. And the whole thing was a car crash. I sang this really high note, and people were in front of me going, <laughs> and, and it was just a nightmare. And then I actually stopped the song mid-song and just said, you know, I think we need to pray. Uh, and, and then we bound every demonic force in the building. And I said, you know, we bind all the darkness, Lord, all the evil. And, you know, now we're really going to lift you up. And people were, yeah, please, God, please, God. Um, and then we sang the song again. And you know what? I mean, it was even worse. But that was the journey. That was the start. And then one night at church, everything changed. And this visiting speaker from Toronto came over. And it was during this time of something called the Toronto Blessing. Some of you here nod if you remember any of that. A particular outpouring of the Spirit in the church. It's an incredible time. And I remember on this particular night, I was playing second guitar in the band. And, and you know, it was an unusual night. This lady came from Toronto. And I remember people were there on time. You know, it was like people wanted to be here tonight. And we kicked off with worship, and it just absolutely went. It was incredible. People were encountering God in worship. I was looking out thinking, this, this is incredible. There's so much passion. There's intensity. There's, there's so much more than just singing songs. And at the end of the worship, I sat down, and then this lady got up to speak, and she pointed to me and said, um, you, yes, uh, the guy hiding behind the <laughs> music stand at the end of the stage, come forward, I really want to pray for you. So then I walked forward and everyone else was sitting down and I got to the stage and held out my hands and she put a hand on me and prayed a lovely prayer, just asking me to, you know, just receive the Spirit of God. And I stood there and I didn't really feel anything happen. And after a while, it, it, you know, it was like, okay, great, we've, we've done this now. You can sit back down. Thanks very much. And I went to sit back down. I sat next to this girl who said to me, why didn't you fall over? And I remember saying, well, I didn't feel like falling over and shit. I would have done anyway. <laughs> well, welcome to church. Um, but you know what? That night, as the evening went on, there was an incredible time of ministry. And people were just encountering God in, in, I guess, quite scary ways. And I remember my response was, you know, I'm going to go to the back of the church and survey the landscape. And I went right to the back of the building and I just took a look at the whole thing. And the truth is, my life was in such a mess. And I just looked at it and, I, and my question was this. God, if this is you, 
and you're really changing lives. <laughs> Who is it? Is it anything we need to know? Oh gosh. Now that was that was dramatic, wasn't it? That was brilliant. I promise you we didn't rig that up. That was so good. Um, that couldn't have been any better. My question was simply this, God, if that's you, I really need you. Because my life's a mess and I need you to actually get go deep. And if it's not, please protect me from it. And a funny thing happened is that night I went home. And as soon as I hit my bed, I suddenly felt a desire to worship God. And to pour out. I was like, I've got to worship God. And for the next few nights, I used to put on CDs every night. And I would just, I couldn't wait. I'd get into my bed. I'd just... Just put on a CD. It was, it was, it was just amazing. I just worship him and sensed his presence coming to me. And it was during a time of probably some of the worst Christian music ever written, but it didn't matter to me. I remember a friend of mine just sending me this CD in, and it was like, you know, listen to track five. I know you're really getting into worship. Track five's amazing. So I put on this CD one night, and I got into my bed, and I put on track five, and it ended up being this um, live recording from America that had been recording on the, recorded on the night of Halloween. And, you know, there was lots of sort of spiritual warfare going on and people binding the demonic forces and these kind of things and screaming guitar solos and drums all over the place and people declaring and claiming everything possible. And there was a moment in this one song, I remember it to this day, when everything reached this crescendo and stopped and the worship leader just said, Fear not! Accompanied by some very high-pitched backing vocalists. Fear not! For the Lord is with you. For the Lord is with you. Right there, standing beside you. And in his hand, he's holding a great big sword. And they proceeded to jam the phrase great big sword for about five minutes. Great big sword. Great big sword. Great big sword. But it didn't matter to me. I was just in love with God. You're the one. You've got the great big sword, and I love you, Lord. (laughs) And as I thought about it more and more, God just met with me in those times. I remember one time specifically when I was worshipping away, and it was as if, the only way I can describe it, my ear opened. And I heard what I would describe as an audible voice. I was absolutely petrified. I hid under the covers. And I started to think about what the voice said. And then suddenly, right from the depths of who I was, I was just filled up with this heat this love and it filled me completely and I just knew it was the father's voice just basically saying you're loved you're loved and ever since then that shaped me it shaped my view of worship it shaped the way that I think when I come to lead you know that we're not just singing songs and throughout the bible we see that time and time again as well I'm going to speak a bit more about that tomorrow this connection of the spirit and worship But as someone once said, you know, to have this mentality of gathered corporate worship that's not just, um, we haven't just come together to pull off a meeting. We've come together to meet with God. And that's really the bottom line, isn't it? And if you're a worship leader here today, I guess when we say what's worship all about, well, I guess what worship's all about is simply to love Jesus, put him first and to help people get in touch with him through the worship, to create a space, to create a moment where we can um, give our hearts to him. And you know, and I guess many of you here have had these things, but when you have an encounter like that, when you meet God in that way, you realize one thing. It's that all God has ever really wanted is our hearts. 
It's all he's ever really wanted. So when you get back to it, you know, we've got music. I mean, I'm a songwriter. I love writing songs, and it's a big part of what I do. But it's not, at the end of the day, it's more than a song. It's more than just doing the latest arrangements and playing the latest tunes. It's more than having preferences, whatever. It's really all he's ever wanted is the thing that only each one of us can give him. That's our hearts. And I want to encourage you today to have that mindset. Wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, whatever you're thinking of, you know, whatever you're preparing, if you're a worshiper, if you're preparing, if you're a service leader, if you're a music leader, get back to the heart as quickly as possible as you can, you know, as quickly as you can and where possible. What does it mean to say, God, I'm giving you my heart again? What does it mean for your people that you're leading to say, God, we're giving you our hearts again? Many in the Bible knew the transforming power of worship. We read in the book of Chronicles about how the priests and the singers gathered together. There's this incredible verse where it says, they all gathered together, they sang out, you are good and your love endures. And then the, the glory of God filled the temple like a cloud and no one could do anything. It was a response to the worship. It's part of what it means. There's a beautiful moment in the New Testament when Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am? In other words, this is a big worship statement right here. You know, on a Sunday, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter says, you're Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And straight away, Jesus answers back, yeah, and you're Peter, you're the rock, and you're going to build, and my church can be built on you. It was a two-way thing. We tell God who he is. He gets straight back at us and affirms who we are in him. Paul and Silas at midnight in jail. They're locked up. They start singing and praising God. And then all the doors fly open and they just go free. Something happens in worship. We have to hold on to it. And I just think it would be great if we had a little discussion time now. Um... I just love you to get in threes and fours and just talk about this whole issue of, um, you know, when maybe was the last time you encountered God in worship? What happened? Was it in an environment, a celebration that you went to and you thought, you know, something special happened now. I don't even know what it was, but something special happened. What did it look like? What did it feel like? It could be a personal thing or a corporate thing. But let's get in three and fours now, okay? Nice one. Go. Just a couple of minutes. It's a very relational group of people, which is great. <laughs> um, it's good just to get the ball rolling, isn't it? Think about these things. I should just say um, that, you know, we, we face a dilemma when we talk about this stuff. And the dilemma that I'm, I'm really aware of is that how do we get this heavenly dimension into our lives, particularly when we have these kind of like human ways of doing things? You know, it's not as simple as just having these heavenly visions or having audible voices. I don't have that every day. You know, so what do we do? And I guess the model that, um, and the way, you know, the church where I'm at, um, at St. Stephen's, the way we think about it is nothing new. Some of you will think about it in this way as well. It's what we learned from the vineyard. 
many years ago, which is the idea of going on a journey of worship. She spent about 25 to 30 minutes singing a few songs, one after the next, all the time thinking journey, all the time thinking the end game of the journey is encounter, reaching a place where God can move in some sort of way. So that's the idea. I realize there'll be people here from completely different backgrounds to that. There'll be some here, it's like, well, we do one song and then we have a bit in there and then we do another song and we do that. Journey can look in lo- it can be different in lots of different contexts. It doesn't have to be the same thing. And there's no sort of one size fits all. But when I talk about worship, I guess that's wha- where I'm coming from a little bit and what I'm thinking about. And the idea of the journey is that, which the vineyard and John Wimber uh, in the 80s, really, really, I, I suppose, handed over to the church in the UK, sort of charismatic Anglican church in particular, um, is this idea that people are coming from different places when they come to worship. Some are arriving and they're just desperate to worship God. They've got 10,000 reasons, quite literally, to praise and sing and they're so happy right now. There are others, and it wouldn't be a gathering of Jesus followers if there weren't others who, you know, you've done well just to get through the door today. You know, this is quite hard for you right now, where you're at in your life, what's going on, difficulties, um, personal circumstances, mean it's very hard for you. And the idea of the journey is it's creating space to allow people to enter in where they can, not expecting them to suddenly be there right at the start. Encounter and intimacy could happen at any place along the journey. You know, for some people they feel it right in the praise moment, they just feel so close to God. For others it takes a while just to gradually allow their hearts to be unlocked and unwound a bit and maybe that happens more at the end Uh, but I suppose the end game would be that there'd be some sort of spiritual activity you know prophecy the word of knowledge the sense of what is God saying or doing in this moment right now we've given to you now what are you saying back to us God we're not worshipping for that reason but that's the kind of deal going on that we believe something's going to change in this moment. And I guess if you look at the book of Corinthians in the New Testament, if you um, see this picture given of the Corinthian church, where Paul's saying, you know, if one of you has this prophecy, one has a word of knowledge, it's like a bombardment of activity. It's almost as if you'd have to wear a crash helmet going into that church, you know, because God is doing so much stuff. And I guess when we look at the idea even that Jesus is alive, you know, it puts the end, an end forever, I guess, the idea that church should ever resemble anything like a funeral. It should resemble something that's living and breathing and that literally we don't quite know what it's going to look like because God's always on the move and he's doing something. And I guess we have to bear some of this stuff in mind. I know it raises lots of questions. Um, Last thing I want to say, then I'd love us to break up into discussion groups again before we have a short time of ministry at the end it's just that there's a war for worship going on there's a battle and the things we elevate and serve are not done in a vacuum this is a war that's been raging since the dawn of time you know satan the bible was one of god's worship leaders and he fell from heaven because of his pride um and i guess I said before, what what God desires most is really the one thing that we can give him and no one else can give him is is our affection. It's our hearts. It's the whole of who we are, kind of simply put. And this is everything that you know. But all the time there's this war going on. Where's the worship going? It happened to Jesus. 
We face the same battle, the temptation in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 1 to 11. It says this, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. His response was clear. And all the time, I guess, we have to be thinking, you know, what's our response? And it's so key. You know, God, we just want to put you first all the time. All the time. Help us. Show us. Help us to keep receiving your grace. To keep knowing that we're going to get things wrong, but we're going to keep coming back to you and praising you. We want to go on this journey with you. And I guess the reason it's so important is because Throughout the Bible, we're commanded to lift our eyes up to God. All the way through the Psalms, you know, lift your eyes up, lift your eyes up, and lift my soul up to you. In Hebrews, we see this passage which says, you know, um, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. Why? All the time, why? It's because we become like the thing we behold. The more we behold him, the more we become like him. You know, I, I guess it's a secret to spiritual success is simply sustaining our focus on Jesus. And our lives are defined by the degree of our revelation of him. So all the time, I would encourage you, I've got to encourage myself, let's get as big a picture of him as we possibly can. Keep searching, keep pressing in. Keep saying, God, how can I just enlarge my vision of you all the time? Because it's going to enlarge my vision of who I'm called to be as well at the same time. And it's a big deal in worship. We've got to keep pressing in. As worship leaders, we've got to keep thinking maybe less and less these days about, you know, I'm just the song leader. But rather, am I the, the gatekeeper for creativity? Am I the gatekeeper for so much more of a, a larger expression of worship? And we'll talk about a bit about that on the last day, this future of worship. One thing I'd love you to do now is just spend five minutes again in groups. And I'd love you to think about some of the things you'd love to look at this week. And any questions that you have, any thoughts. And then if you could, maybe someone could scroll them and just write them down on a piece of paper. You could hand them in at the end. Is that okay? And I can have a good look at them tonight and go, right, let's dig into that one, let's go for it. Um, would that be okay? At the end of t today, I've got to rush off at, at like 4.45 or whatever, so um, I'd love to take them, and then I can have a good look at them, and go, right, we're going to look at some of these things. So let's get in some groups. Some of the things it might might be around are um, maybe even, you know, services, how do they look? You could bring practical questions. We do have practical seminars throughout the weeks. In fact, tomorrow I'm also doing a se uh, seminar in the afternoon before this one tomorrow, which is going to be on songwriting. So if you're a songwriter and you want to learn how to craft songs, um, I'd love to chat to you about that. And we'll be here, I think it's 3.15, so we'll be looking at that area then. But if there's anything else at all, why don't you dig in, get your questions down, write them down, and then, and then I'll collect them at the end. Okay, thanks. So let's have five minutes on that, then we'll draw it to close.